Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello and welcome to another episode. And today we have an amazing guest with us. His name is John Jarman. He's a professional fitness coach and men's discipleship leader with a passion for seeing lives changed by Jesus Christ. A former football coach and Marine Corps veteran of Desert Storm, John's life was radically transformed from a self-destructive trajectory to one of life, wholeness, and a dynamic walk with Christ, a story that is told in the pages of Broken and Redeemed. John holds a master's degree in physical education from Ohio University, and as of this writing, is close to completing a master's degree in theology from seminary, uh, Faith Seminary in Tacoma, Washington, where he resides. Super excited to have you here, John. So welcome. And why don't you tell them a little bit about your story? As you know, this podcast is basically from taking people that have gone through severe dysfunction and just really tough times in their lives to a place of hope and resilience and faith and just smiles. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Tammy. I was I was really excited when I saw your uh, your podcast and then got the invitation to be on. So because it, it, I tell people that I, I mean, I even told my counselor that my family put the fun in dysfunctional. So because <laughs> um, it was it was super dysfunctional. Um, I don't have a lot of memory of my childhood um, grow till up till about age 12. My dad was a alcoholic and severely uh, there was a lot of physical abuse in the house. And and so that's how I grew up. I grew up in violence and, you know, didn't see any other thing but that um, until he left when he was 12. And then I, you know, I, I got, I had my three brothers and my mom. And so, you know, it was, we all kind of went our different ways just to do what we did, could do to survive basically. And, um, you know, we got involved in the drug scene cause it was the eighties and, you know, alcohol and drugs. Cause you know, just that's what we saw and, uh, spent, uh, till 20, age 23 in that world and and one day I, I was sitting at a party and I was like there's got to be more to life than this and I got up and I walked out and three days later I walked into a marine recruiting office and asked how fast he could get me out of town and he asked if I committed a crime and I said well yes but I've never been caught um and so we chatted for a while and then two months later I was in San Diego and starting my marine corps career um and I think that's where the the seed was planted with Christ because I did grow up in the church um, you know, it was a Sunday morning, first Sunday of boot camp. The drill instructor said we could go to chapel and, and it's an hour vacation from the drill instructor. So I said, yeah, send me up. I'll head over to church and uh, have an hour of peace. <laughs> and so um, and then after the Marine Corps, I, I went into uh, I, I rolled in Ohio University because I wanted to be a teacher and a football coach because I had a spark of not, you know, I wanted to help kids not go down the same path that I went down, you know, kids that, from broken homes. And so. Um, that I figured that would be a great way to do it. And as I started my coaching career, I got involved in fellowship of Christian athletes. And, you know, so my faith started to continue to grow. Um, 
And it, but it wasn't until I moved back to uh, Washington in 2005 um, and I started to see the self-destruction behavior start to happen again because I think people who go through trauma like I did it, it you know they don't feel they deserve stuff and so they sabotage themselves um and so I sought out a counselor and I found Christina Holland and we worked together off and on for about 10 years and during that time I met my spiritual mentor Scotty Kessler and uh, Scotty and I worked together for uh probably about five years um to you know release the strongholds and all the shame and bitterness and guilt that I was carrying around me for such a long time. And that's where my faith really started to deepen. And, and, you know, as a result of working with Scotty, I was like, I want to get a deeper understanding of the word. And so I enrolled in seminary school. Um, and while I was working with Christine, she's the one that planted the seed for the book. She said, John, you need to write a book. And I was kind of laughed at her at the time because, you know, my story's not, you know, there's people that have been through far worse things than I've been through. But as I thought about it and I shared it with a couple of friends, you know, it is my story and, it, and there's impact in the story. So I actually started the book in 2014, wrote five chapters and, and then it just sat on the shelf until um, February of 2022 is when I was uh, kind of kicked in the seat of the pants by the Holy Spirit to finish the book. And so I committed to two hours a day writing and I'd finished the book in four weeks. Um, and so it was just a spiritual dump. And then I met. Um, my editor. Um, and we started working together on that because uh, I have dyslexia. So I had to have an editor to to go through the book. And so we started working together and <clears throat> it was about halfway through the process. And she told me she was a scout for Morgan James Publishing. By September of that year, I was picked up by, by Morgan James. And then by the following March of 2023, I had 500 copies of the book in my hands. And so you know, it just happened that quick. And, you know, it was a blink of an eye and, you know, it couldn't have happened without divine intervention, in my opinion. So. No, I, I hear you. And it's like you said, that was quick. And it was after an, it wasn't right after your epiphany moment years, mm -hmm. years before. I mean, it was many yep. years later. And I yep. always say that, I mean, it's, it's going to happen on his time, not your time. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you know, I could, when I completely gave up my life because I was a control freak because from age 12, I did whatever I wanted and I did it John's way. And so um, that was the biggest thing that I had to give up. I had to give up trying to control my own life. And that happened in 2016. And so then the book wasn't finished until 2022. So because I needed to grow in that faith and understand the word a lot more so. Well, I feel like the military probably gave you a little boost in taking away a little control too. <laughs> well, yeah, but I still, you know, it, it did, but I still tried to do things John's way, you know, um, after the Marine Corps and, you know, getting into coaching and, you know, you're a head coach. And I tell people all the time, you know, being a head football coach, you have to have a little bit of arrogance and, and, and pride because you have to believe that what you're doing is the best thing. And you have to sell that to your kids. You have to sell that to the community to, to change cultures. And so that, you know, I think that, but you can do it humbly and I wasn't doing it humbly and, you know, looking back on it, it you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I did have an impact and I changed some lives, but um, if I could go back and do it again, I'd, I'd rather have the faith that I have right now and, and work with those kids, you know, but it was, it was impactful nonetheless. So. Right. And I think everything when you're dealing with the divine intervention is going to by default have more compassion and empathy and, and right. humble built into it because that's what it's yep. that's what yep. he's all about. Yeah, <laughs> that is for sure. So you said that you you lost your your father left when you were 12. 
Yeah. yeah. And you don't have many memories before that? Well, I have very little memories, um, you know, because the the day that I the first vivid memory I have is is one of my dad beating up my mom. <laughs> and I woke up and went into the kitchen and pulled the knife out and told him if he didn't stop, I would kill him. And mm. he left the next day. And, you know, why he didn't, you know, I don't know. If, I used to think that I wasn't a victim or a survivor of it. Um, but as I worked with Christina, I figured out that, you know, possibly the abuse happened to me and it's so bad that I blacked it out. And so, you know, I, it just, I, there was a quest I wanted to know really bad for a while. And then there was, you know, as my faith grew, I just said, you know, if God wants me to know, he'll show it. Christine has told me that if we found out, you know, if we did memory recovery, it could mean I would be in counseling for another 15 years. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you <Right>. know, so <laughs> So, but it, but it was with the work of her and Scotty that, that freed me from all that. So, yeah. And, and, you know, you're going to remember things as you're ready to handle them on your own yeah. and you're equipped yeah. to handle them because yeah. it, it does no good. I say that even with a lot of psychotherapists and stuff, I'm like, it does no good to lay you down and put you in this semi-hypnotic state and make you relive every moment of trauma. It, it doesn't, right. you right. know, obviously terrible things happen. You just need to be able to sit with them and be aware that it happened and come to terms with well, it. And and for me, it was forgiving my dad too, you know, cause you have to have that forgiveness part and that's where the faith comes in because, you know, we all have, you know, sin and, and we have to forgive for that. And, you know, that was a part of it. And, you know, growing up in that violent household, you know, my forgiveness started with me punching my dad in the mouth when I came back from Okinawa, Japan. And I uh, went to his house and he didn't know I was coming and I hit it, you know, I popped him in the mouth and he stood up and said, Hey, I deserve that. Let's go have a beer and talk. And from that time, our relationship changed. And, you know, then I got to watch my dad. Um, he was remarried and my stepsister was a heroin addict and she got pregnant and she died on the delivery room. And so now my stepmom and my dad have this baby and they raised him up until my dad passed away and watching my dad interact with that kid. It, it was his, I think he was trying to make amends for how he treated us. Yeah. And I could have been super jealous of that, but I saw it as a way my dad was trying to, to do things better. And he became a better person through that. So I was going to say he was in his own way, redeeming himself for, yes. you know, once things are done, it, it, it does very little to, to beat yourself up about it. Oh yeah. yeah. Because you can't go back. And so many no. people spend, you know, decades of their life, just regretting the things they do. And, you know, I'm like, listen, if there's somebody in your immediate life that you can make amends with and think that makes you feel yep. better, then go for it. Otherwise, yep. give yourself some grace because we yep. all are imperfect. I mean, yes. At the end of the when day, I tell, people ask me, how can you forgive him? And I'm like, well, forgiveness doesn't dissolve what took place. Forgiveness breaks the bondage of what holds you from that event. Because the shame and the bitterness and the resentment and all that stuff that goes along with, and, and I like to say being a survivor of, of abuse, all that stuff is released when you forgive. But the events still took place. You can't change that. But you can change the way you perceive them through forgiveness and, and faith in Christ. Absolutely. And have you kind of gotten to a point, like, I don't know, you said he said, come out of a beer. Was there like alcoholism or was it just flat out abuse or you don't even know? You know, it, it, it was both. I mean, my, my you know, my dad's uh, Millie, my stepmom was a strong lady because she she really changed my dad because my dad had almost stopped drinking. 
um, you know, and and it was just an amazing, amazing to see that change in him over the years. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed away at an early age because I think of the alcohol abuse and the smoking. And, you know, he had a heart attack one day after mowing the lawn and they never re- revived him. And that was in 2003. Wow. So, and how old was he? Uh, he was just I think he was just about 65. OK, I so think. not old. So, so not not old, you know. And, you know, then my mom passed away. So I moved back home because when I came home, I was coaching football in Georgia at the time. And when when I came home for the holidays, my mom wasn't doing real well. And so I moved back home because I knew she was, you know, her health situation wasn't going to get any better. And I was afraid I was going to lose her. And I ended up losing her in 2008. Um, And then, unfortunately, I lost my two older brothers shortly after that. So it's been 10 years since my second oldest brother passed away and then eight years since my oldest brother passed away. And, you know, it was all I think everybody's death was because of the drug use that we had and and the abuse and all that, because my brother at 55 had a heart attack. um, And then my brother, Steve, died of liver and kidney uh, disease because of his drug use. So, yeah, I mean, it. And it's like the abuse takes a toll on your body. And so does the trauma. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know if you've ever read the book, The Body Keeps Score. Oh, no. But I, oh, I tell that all the time. Like, I'm like, you can't just fix the mind. You have to fix right. the body and you have to fix the soul. Oh, yeah. Body, yeah, mind absolutely. and spirit. They all go together. Yeah. And if you if they're if even one of them is out of alignment, you, you're you just yep. you can't quite get there. But boy, I mean, I knew it at 18. I had bleeding ulcers. And I was right. like, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't eat spicy yeah. food. <laughs> <laughs> no, the stress, st- stress and stuff like that can kill you. Oh. Um, and and I think that the bitterness and resentment takes years off your life. Excuse me. Um, and, and I know that that's why my mom passed away. She was 72 when she passed away, but she, you know, she, she never forgave. Um, and so she was very bitter and, and, you know, I tried to get her to go counseling and, you know, she started going to church when I moved home, moved home, she started attending with me, but you know, I don't think she ever forgave. And it, it, it saddened me that, you know, she was she was bitter to the end because it, it, you know, it cat, that captivity from that was just so much torment on her life and her body. Oh, I can't even imagine. I mean, that's the first thing I know people said to me, you know, how do you forgive your mom or did you hate your mom? And I'm like, first of all, I don't hate. And my right. mom was fighting her own demons. Yep. You know, and yep. like you said, there are actions to me that she did to yep. me, things like, you know, just whatever. I mean, pimping me out right. to drug dealers like that act was unforgivable. But I forgave right. my mother as a person because right. she didn't know what she was. I mean, she was doing what yeah. she had to do while she was. fighting. Well, and I, and I think that's the same with my dad, you know, because it just, you know, I don't know. I don't believe that my grandparents were like that. Um, you know, he was adopted. Um, and so I look at that as a generational sin that he had. Um, and so because, you know, my mom, Adele and, and my grandfather in Arkansas, they they were just I mean, I can't even imagine that, you know, knowing the relationship that I had with them and my my his my grandmother, Mama Adele, she would always tell me when I when I would see her, she'd be like, Johnny, has got some God's got something special planned for you. And she was just this Southern, just true Methodist christian woman and it's you know i can't imagine that my dad grew up in a violent home so no but you don't know so so and often you know generational trauma is it's deep and it it lasts generations and it comes when you least expect it and you know i tell my kids i one of the most liberating things for me was to learn the science behind trauma to make me understand that it you know it gave me a little grace for myself 
to say, yeah. okay, there's actually science. Like I'm not crazy. I'm not nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm, you yeah. know, and, but so when you started this journey, so your faith journey, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit like the timeline, like how long did this go on? Like, well, it, I mean, it's like obviously said, still going, but yeah, it's still going. And it, and it's a non day. It's a daily, it's a daily thing. Cause if I don't, if I don't have my prayer and reading time in the morning, my day doesn't go right. And so, um, you know, it's it started when I met Scotty Kessler, really, um, is when I really started to dive deep into the word. You know, I was attending church on a regular basis, but I wasn't, you know, I, I was I had a linebacker coach when, in one of my schools. He was also a pastor and he called, you know, he would he would refer to people who go to church on Sunday and then don't practice their religion or their faith during the week. He called them submarine Christians because they surface on Sunday and then they go underwater the rest of the week. And that's kind of what I was. Um, until I met Scotty. Um, Scotty gave his life to Christ at four years old, and then he'd been mentoring and discipling people for years. He's probably discipled 1,500 men um, over his over his career. Um, do, you, uh, do you know who Robert Coleman is? I've heard the name, yes. Okay, so he wrote the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. And so that's basically the Bible of discipleship. And Scotty was mentored by Robert Coleman. Okay. And so, you know, my grandfather, spiritual grandfather is Robert Coleman. And, and so it's, it's neat to, you know, have that lineage in, in the faith and, and Scotty took me under his wing and he has a 10 step process for discipleship that teaches, uh, how to pray, how to read, how to my book, Bible memorization, gospel presentation to present your testimony. So we work through all this and, and by his permission, I've put that in the book. And so his big 10, uh, procedures in the book and, you know, we were, we started working and we were working together for about three weeks. And he, at one of the meetings, he looks at me and he goes, who are you discipling? And I'm like, what? I'm not ready for that. He goes, you're more, he goes, you're, he goes, if somebody just came to faith, you could disciple them because you, you're walk, you're farther along in your walk than they are. And I just, you know, at that point I was like, okay, that makes sense. But still, I, you know, I didn't feel competent even to remotely do that. So it was, and that was probably I want to say 2012 was when we met and started working together. And so, you know, it was, it took four years for me to actually give up control, <laughs> even working with Scotty and, you know, on that daily read and, and it's just getting to understand the word and seeing the word differently and, and understanding how God speaks through the Bible to you um, and, you know, opening your eyes. I had a host of another podcast ask me what's different what is the biggest difference that you see in yourself now before I gave up that control? And and my answer is that I see the world differently. I see, I like to say, I see the world through Christ's eyes because I don't see people and I don't, you know, if there's, I try not to judge, but you know, it's, it sometimes still comes, but I see people for their heart rather than their physical appearance or stuff like that. And, you know, even just seeing a sunset or sunrise, I look at it differently because it's, it's a different, it's a different view. The world's a different view. So, Absolutely. Now I have a question because I deal with a lot of people and a lot of people that are going to probably be listening to this have gotten to the point in their lives and the amount of trauma that they've, they've turned their back on God because they don't believe that he's, you know, that he would actually let the trauma like that happen to someone like they're in that, you know, why me? And if there's a God, why, why? Well, I, I, I said that before too. Mm-hmm. I've said that, but, but, you know, I like to tell people is, is it's God doesn't let you go through it. That is that when you're a victim of trauma or abuse or something like that, that's the, I, I, I refer to that as the evil in that person because humans 
with with this, you know, some people just, I mean, there's been people who've been really bad um, and, and they don't understand that they're even hurting people, you know, and, and that's how demonic or, or, you know, that they are. And so it, I don't think it's God letting it happen. It's the, it's the evil in that person that took place. You just happen to be the one that they outburst on and you, God can use that because he used it in me. I mean, he helped that. That's what the book's all about. And so you go through, it says in the Bible that we go through our trials to help others who go through trials. And so I truly believe that. And it's just, that's where your faith even deepens is when you're in those situations and you got to rely on it. You know, I, I mean, I, my business partner called me two months ago and said he has terminal cancer, you know, and, and so it's he, the only way he's going to heal is if God heals him. And that's what I pray for every day. But if he doesn't, that's, that's his will. And it was to his time to go home. And so you got, you know, that's how I see that. And it, and it's the same with the abuse, you know, so it, it is tough. I'm not going to say it's not because I struggled with that for a long time, you know, is why did I have to go through this? You know, why are you doing this? And it's okay to question God. I mean, even, even Jacob wrestled with God when he got the name changed to Israel, you know? And so, and he said he wasn't going to let him go until he told, till he blessed him, you know? And so that's, I think that's what we have to do is hold on to him and don't let go until he blesses us. And so that's, and we, that's how, I would, that's how I would answer that. Absolutely. And we need more people to be disciples. We need more people out there that are just talking and out there in the general public that aren't afraid to say, you know, it's because of God that I'm standing here today, because there are right. millions of people that it was just that one bit of glimmer of hope that got them back to church or that got them right. back to listening to whatever. So, so I'll share this with you. I don't mean to cut you off, but I had a fine. young lady, I had a young lady that was three years behind me in high school. She saw my book, read my book, direct message me through Facebook and said that had she not found the book in that, in that period of her life, she was going to kill herself. And eight months later, she's back in church. She's reading the Bible every day and she's on a faith journey now. And so, you know, it's, and so that's why I say my story, I went through the things I did to help her and others like that to, so that they can come back to Christ and have a, have a better life. Exactly. I'm sorry, they're, doing some, they're doing some work and two guys just jumped on my patio, my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, no, that's fine. And I mean, literally there is, you know, I always say there's no test test or testimony without the test. So yeah. there's so yeah. many people that were put here and I kind of feel like that the same about myself. I mean, I was, I've had my story. I've had my story for years. I've been through 30 years of healing, but it wasn't mm -hmm. until I was at a book writing conference. Cause my father who was the alcoholic always said to me, write a book, you're an amazing writer. And I was right. at a Christian book writing conference and we did a, a silent prayer, a listening prayer mm -hmm. where we just all 120 people get cozy and sit down and, right. and just listen and right. after the listening prayer, the gentleman that was running it, it was uh, David Benham, I believe it was David or Jason Benham, stood up, pointed at me and said, I don't, I didn't know me from Adam and looked right. at me and said, I don't know what's going through your mind, but all he kept telling me is it's time for you to do it now. And nice. that was, you know, my book all of a sudden, I was like, bam, I wrote that book in two months and yep. here I am. So, yep. Yeah. See, I call that a God thing. That's what I refer oh, yeah. to it in my book. It's God things. You know, I used to think it was coincidence, but now I call them God things because it's just there's, you know, there is no coincidence. No. And, and it's an amazing thing. And, you know, I agree with you that the, 
you know, I don't know where, where I, I live in Washington and it's one of the darkest states in the country. It's the least, one of the least church states in the country. And it's, it's, so it's up here. It's, you know, a lot of Christians are ashamed to admit they're Christian um, publicly. And, and so, you know, one of my hashtags when I post things is Romans one sixteen, you know, cause it's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have to have that battle cry and that's one of the reasons why we're working on this event for next summer at the Washington State Fairgrounds. We're going to do a three-day worship festival and bring in local pastors and worship teams. And then we're also going to have some uh, you know, guest speakers and we're going to get in some a couple Christian uh, contemporary bands to come play and stuff. And so, you know, because we've got to we got to have an awakening here in the state. And it's just I mean, it's crazy to you know, it's 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 a funny it's a it's a weird state <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the way i put it <laughs> yeah i actually had a business out there in seattle just recently i got rid mm -hmm. of it because of, you know after covid and um yeah. it was interesting yeah it was interesting yeah and i mean it, it's yeah it's but you know that's why i'm here i think is because you know i'm supposed to be able you know i'm supposed to be a light here and, and help people see that it's that it's okay and that, that their faith can change their lives. So. Yep. And I always tell people, you know, you don't turn off the darkness, you turn on the light. You can't, yep. that's yep. the only way you can do it. And we do, yep. we need, we need more disciples right now. We need yep. everybody. Just well, and, and this is what I talked about in my, in my uh, book too, is, you know, when, when churches do altar calls and they ask people to give their life to Christ and people raise their hand, what are they doing for those people after that? Because they're new to they're new to Christ, they don't know how to read the Bible, and frankly, the Bible can be scary if you're brand new to the to the faith. And so you got to have that discipleship because they're going to have questions about what's in the Bible. They're going to have questions of how do I pray, um, and that's what I love about what Scotty did. He's got an acronym; he calls it Tacos. So you you pray Tacos. It's Thanksgiving, Adoration, Confession, Others, and Self. So Tacos, and so. You know, he in his discipleship groups, we pray out loud because people don't like to pray out loud and you should pray out loud. Even when you're by yourself in your prayer closet or wherever you pray, it should be out loud. <laughs> you know, you should read the Bible out loud because it slows you down and, and it makes you see the text better. And it's that type of discipleship that needs to be done for those people when they raise their hand. And that's part of what I try to do at the church I attend, because when I was going through that, there was no one. You know, it was like, hey, yeah, great. You did it. We clap. And then sometimes those people don't even come back because no one's greeted them or just talked to them. And so I call that catching and releasing. We got to catch the fish and, and then grow it. Right. So, and, and, and that, you know, he, Christ said that when he left, when he ascended to heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. So that, that was the great commission. And that's what we have to do. So. Absolutely. And you are right. The Bible can be very daunting and very overwhelming yep. if you just pick it up and think you're going to read it like a regular book. I mean, yep. most people don't well, get to, through Genesis because they're like, well, wow. I used to call I used to call the Old Testament the dark side of the Bible. And when I started seminary school, the first class that I was put into was Old Testament review. And I was like, oh, you got jokes, <laughs> you know, and and but now I have an Old Testament verse tattooed on my forearm. It's Exodus 2020. It says, God comes to test us so that the fear of God is in us to keep us from sinning. And the Bible verse is 2020. Well, when you go to the doctor for vision, clear vision is 2020. And so that's the clear vision of God. He, he wants to, he is going to test us. 
but he's testing us to have that fear, that reverent fear. See, I used to think when I started my walk is why do we have to, why are we, why are we supposed to fear God? Well, it's not that kind of fear. It's reverent fear, like a, like a father, son or mother, daughter. Right. And so it took a while for me to understand that. And then I looked through the rest of the Bible and there's 17 other verses that have 2020 as an address. 10 of those verses have instructions on how we're to act and behave as Christians. The other seven are just part of stories. So 2020. So, and and it's very, it is very amazing for people that have never begun to do a simple, you know, literally find a simple Bible study that will lead you through the Bible and what it really means and, and reference things. Because like you said, it's, it's not just a pick up and read book, although it is, (laughs) I mean, it can start that way. Yes, 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 yes. But you, but you really, because to see that the connection and the correlation of the Old Testament to the New Testament, that takes a lot of time in studying the Bible. And you need to have somebody who's more advanced in their faith with you on that journey because the questions you have. And, you know, I still call Scotty sometimes with questions, you know, and, and there's there's some things that you're not going to have an answer to. And that's where your faith is built. Scotty calls it the mystery box, you know, and and so you you just got to have that faith and and rest in faith when you see something and you can't find an answer for that that's in the bible because that's what it's intended for is for you to build your faith because me- remember our faith is built on what's not seen well not what is seen and so that's that's a hard part for some people too so right and i think hope and faith is the big that's the big picture. And that's what people are looking for. And people that are just coming out of all this abuse and struggle and all of this stuff and don't know where to go. Um, what's one, if I had to ask you one question, what would be your one piece of advice for those people? Because most of the people I deal with are kind of at that, they're aware, acutely aware that something is wrong. They've accepted they need help. Now they're getting ready to take action. So in the faith, hope, dealing with what you do with your faith walk, what would you Mm -hmm. say is the one piece of advice you would give them? Well, first of all, it it was whoever you're working with counselor, spiritual mentor or spiritual counselor, whoever you're working for. And if you don't have one of those two, then find somebody. If you have one, find another because you need both, I think. Um, and, And then you have to be vulnerable. You have to be unconditionally honest. And then you you have that you have to completely trust that person. And I think that, that when you find that person, don't let them go and, and hang on to them. And and the you know, I don't go see Christina anymore because I'm healed. There was one day I walked out of her office and I sat down in my car and I was like, the weight of the world was just lifted off my shoulder. It was an unbelievable feeling. And I walked back in. I said, I'm not coming back. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm cured, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, but there's times because my little brother is still alive. He's a, he's a recovering addict. And he, so he has relapses from time to time. And so, you know, when I need a voice, I call her, <laughs> Hey, give me some advice, you know, so we still have a contact, but I don't see her on a regular basis. Um, and, and that's the thing is you've got to find, you're, you're not meant to go through this alone. No. That's the biggest thing. And I think that survivors of trauma, they feel that there's, there's that shame and they feel like they're the only ones that went through what they did. Well, that's not correct. And then there's, it's so bad. I can't share what I, what happened to me with somebody. That's not true. <laughs> and I tried to get my older brother to understand that because he grew up in the same house that I did. And he had some other things happen to him and I could never get him to go to counseling because he said he didn't want people to think he was crazy. And I said, Steve, you are crazy. We're all crazy. So it doesn't matter. Um, but the counseling portion of it is such a 
for me is it was a way that where I could vent or talk about anything and there's no judgment and the counselor is going to kind of put a spin on not to get you to think differently, but they're going to pr present it to you in a different perspective that you might not see because you're blinded yes. because of what you could, because of what you went through. And, and Christina calls it peeling the onion back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you peel an onion, it gets stinkier as you get closer to the center and you cry a lot more. <laughs> so <laughs> be re be ready for that. <laughs> you know, and it's not, and here's the thing, it's not easy. I'm going to tell there's times when I walked out of her office and I was so emotionally drained that I didn't go back to work. I went home. And I took a nap or I went to the golf course and I played golf by myself because I just had to decompress because the the stuff that we went through in the session and, it, and it's going to be hard work. And that's why you need somebody to help you. And that's the advice I would give somebody. And don't give up. You know, once you can find that person, just keep working. You know, it took me 10 years. So. Absolutely. Completely agree. Well, I'm excited to hear about more about your activity in Seattle. So in the show notes, I'm going to put all of that and everything else. Yep and your your book and I, I will put everything in there but if people wanted to work with you like right now what would be your num like how do they get hold of you well the best way would be to go to my website and fill out a, con a connect form um okay. i have a contact form where they can leave their name and email and and a comment um you know you could direct message me through facebook or or instagram as well but the website would probably be the best um way to get a hold of me if if you're looking for you know some guidance spiritual guidance or anything like that Okay. And that is just www.brokenandredeemed.com, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes, okay. ma'am. Yep. Very simple. Yep. You kept it very simple for us. Yeah, I tried to. <laughs> I like to I like to work under that KISS principle. <laughs> yep. Well, so. thank you. Thank you so much. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know it's Saturday football day. And yeah, um, unfortunately our Huskies up here don't play until 7 30 tonight. So oh. it's gonna be a it's gonna be a late night for me because we're going up to the game. So oh so. okay, it's gonna be a very late night. So yeah. but thank you so much for coming and I will oh, I appreciate it. I loved having you. And for everybody else out there, just remember there is always hope. You can always have faith. There is always yep. faith, and you are never alone. Amen. 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 Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now. <laughs>